Hello, my dear listeners, and welcome to Triumph Over Tragedy, where we discuss how someone's triumph can be another's tragedy on different historical events and movements. Today's movement that we're going to be discussing is the women's suffrage movement, along with one of its most prominent faces, Alice Paul. The women's suffrage movement was a movement which, as the name states, fought for women's suffrage or women's right to vote. It was a very, very long-lasting movement, which many, many, many people fought for, and has always been a very large topic of conversation when people talk about women's rights and women's history. Now, as usual, let's discuss quite a few facts before we get on to our topic question. Was this movement of triumph a tragedy, or a triumph for some, and a tragedy for others? Now on to our first fact. The women's suffrage movement sprung from the abolitions movement. The abolitions movement was a movement which fought for anti-slavery. Our next fact, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, giving women the right to vote in America, was first proposed and rejected in 1878. Then it was introduced every single year for the next 41 years. Our next fact, not all suffragists were women and not all anti-suffragists were men. It's a common misconception for people to believe that all suffragists were in fact women and all anti-suffragists were men. Both sides had a mix of both men and women fighting for different beliefs. The original 1776 Constitution of New Jersey gave all inhabitants who were worth more than 50 pounds or at 50 pounds the right to vote. This was vague, so in 1797, women with 50 pounds or more to their names were explicitly allowed to vote. This right only applied to single women, though. Married women did not count since their husbands legally controlled all the property they owned. However, in 1807, the law was changed once again, restricting the vote to only free white male citizens. After the Civil War, many abolitionists and women's rights activists parted ways over women's suffrage. This is because ideologies began to clash. While some people believe that although slavery was wrong and slavery should not be a thing that was normal, many people also believed that just because slavery was wrong did not mean that black women still deserved the same amount of respect and opportunities as their male counterparts. The women's rights movement launched its own fashion craze. I don't know if it was made very clear, but... In these older times, women were expected to dress more conservatively. They were expected to wear dresses most of the time, skirts, things that would cover them up but still allow others to see their feminine features. Many women began to not agree with this, so they started their own fashion movement, their own, let's say, trend for these things. Um... This could be women wearing shorts around, wearing pantsuits, wearing tank tops and shirts and dresses that um, didn't cover their shoulders or showed a bit more cleavage. Overall, it just started a fashion craze, which back then was very unbecoming of a woman. On to our next fact, a woman ran for political office nearly 50 years before women got the right to vote. This wasn't very effective, 
However, it was a very, very large um, action to take in this movement. Although our main topic for today is the American women's suffrage movement, I would like to input the Britain women's suffrage movement. The Britain women's suffrage movement was far more militant than its counterpart in the U.S. Rather than marches and meetings, Britain women's suffrage movements would strive for much more aggressive tactics. They would chain themselves to buildings. They would riot. And unsurprisingly, with this more aggressive push, British women's suffrage was ratified long before the United States women's suffrage was. Next up. During the Second Great Awakening, which changed the teachings, tenor, and institutional structures of Protestant Christianity, um, it actually also helped support the ideological foundation of the women's rights movement. During this time, women were recast as more spiritual, more pious, and less sexual than men. Last one for specifically the women's suffrage movement, the rise of the middle class, the employment of domestic servants, and the decrease in family size from 1760 to 1820 played an important role in the women's rights movement. It freed up the critical time they needed to devote for fighting for rights instead of doing onerous housework all day. Now on to our very prominent Alice Paul, one of the biggest faces of this movement. Alice Paul was born January 11th in 1885, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and died July 9th, 1977, Morristown, New Jersey. She graduated from Swarthmore College in 1905 and pursued postgraduate studies at the New York School of Social Work. She then went to England to do settlement work from 1906 to 09, and during her stay there, she was jailed three times for suffragist agitation. In 1912, she became chairman of the Congressional Women. Sorry about that, you guys. You know how pause cards are. In 1912, she became chairman of the Congressional Committee of the National American Women's Suffrage Association, but soon differed with what she considered its timid policies. She was chairman of the Women's Research Foundation from 1927 to 1937, and in 1938, she founded and represented at League headquarters in Geneva the World Party for Equal Rights for Women, known as the World's Women's Party. In the interim, she was successfully lobbied for references to gender equality in the preamble of the United Nations chapter and in the 1964 U.S. Civil Rights Act. Alice Paul was proudly a birthright Quaker, but as she became interested in politics, she became frustrated with her faith's reluctant to actively work for women's suffrage. We often do associate Quakers with political activism, but in the late 19th century, the vast majority of Quakers disapproved of such efforts. Now, Paul loved dancing and sports. Indeed, her love for physical activity was a factor in drawing her into social protest, first in England, then in America. In her high school and college years, she played softball, basketball, hockey, tennis, and also ice skated when she could on her free time. If it all wasn't already made clear, Paul was a very aggressive um, protester and fighter for her rights. This resulted in slightly more abusive punishments for her and her other counterparts. 
She was force-fed 55 times in London's Holloway Prison in 1909, and maybe another 25 times while at the District of Columbia's jail in 1917. Alice Paul was not present during the frenzied effort to make Tennessee the ratifying state for the suffrage movement. She wanted to be there at the Tennessee State House, but NWP lobbying required an instant input of cash. Her ability to raise funds surpassed anyone else's, so she chose to stay in Washington to keep the money flowing. Lastly, a more commonly known fact, Alice Paul bequeathed us the iconic images of the battle for the ballot, photographs of the 1913 procession, the 1917 White House pickets, and the 1918 watchfire protests, all images which can be easily looked up in a Google search. Now, after those facts, now on to the deciding question. Can one's person's triumph be another person's tragedy? And like all of our other episodes, yes, yes it can. Although the ratification of the 19th Amendment could have been considered a triumph for most women in that time, along with me, it also could have been considered a tragedy to most men at that time, mostly because they did not have the usual resources that is usual. If a woman were to choose to live their own life, allow themselves to vote, their male counterpart or male husband could be feeling threatened by this. Because although their voices are not being silenced, there are more voices to add to them. And with that point, we're signing off for the night. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Tomeo, and I hope you have a great night.